Welcome to BMO Smarter Investing, the new podcast series that's all about helping you make smarter investment decisions. Join top BMO economists Douglas Porter, Sal Guattari, and Jennifer Lee each month as they discuss the latest market developments and insights. Together with a panel of special guests, they'll take a deep dive into topics, trends, and forecasts that are relevant to new and experienced investors. Today's episode is all about inflation. Inflation is at its highest since the early 1990s, with over 6% in the US and just over 4% in Canada. Is high inflation here to stay, or will it eventually recede to something closer to 2%? And what are the structural forces that might tamp down inflation, even in a heated economy? We'll also discuss what inflation means for interest rates, how the Bank of Canada and the Fed might respond in the next one to two years, and who wins from high inflation, and who gets hurt the most. Hello, I'm Doug Porter, Chief Economist with the Bank of Montreal, and I'll be joined in a minute or so by my colleague, Saul Guadieria, a senior economist here at BMO. Our overall topic today, and one that has been dominating market and investor attention for months now, is inflation. We'll be discussing where it's headed, how long it will persist, and what does that all mean for policy and investors. In recent weeks, we've already seen monetary policy begin to shift gradually or at least prepare to shift in many key economies due to the rising threat from inflation. The Federal Reserve has just begun winding down its massive bond buying program. The Bank of Canada has flatly warned that interest rates will likely need to rise earlier than they previously believed, possibly as early as April. And the Bank of England is signaling an even earlier hike. Some other central banks have already started to raise rates, including New Zealand, Norway, and Brazil, all amid rising inflation pressures. No doubt there are a wide variety of reasons as to why inflation has come back so forcefully in the past year, highlighted most notably by the recent 6.2% blowout reading for U.S. consumer prices in October, which was the fastest pace in more than 30 years. I would put the big bounce in prices down to four broad factors, some of which were largely expected, others of which have proven to be much, much stronger than anyone expected. Briefly, the four factors are First, a rebound in prices from the depths of last year, or the so-called base effects. This was pretty well anticipated. Second, the full recovery, and then some, in a broad range of energy prices as well as commodities in general. This was a surprise, but not entirely shocking. Third, the pronounced strength in housing markets and home prices, which is only now beginning to weigh in much more heavily in the official measures of CPI. And finally, fourth, the many, many supply chain issues, which has caused actual shortages in some goods, most acutely for autos. This factor was almost completely unexpected a year ago, at least in terms of sending inflation skyward. But a common theme underlying all four of these factors is robust demand, which has simply overwhelmed existing supply chains. This demand shock, in turn, has been buoyed by super stimulative policies, which are only now beginning to gradually wind down. So with that as a a backdrop, I'll now welcome Sal to join me and offer some of his perspectives on this issue. Sal, let's start off with the outlook in this complex backdrop. Where do you see inflation going in the next year in the U.S. and Canada? As mentioned, the latest headline numbers are now just over 6% in the U.S. and look to be headed to nearly 5% in Canada in coming months. Where do you think they're going next? Well, higher or uh, longer than many analysts and, and central bankers believe 
uh, largely because of the four factors you, you mentioned, Doug, uh, reopening bounce, uh, sizzling energy and food costs, uh, the hot housing prices, and supply chain bottlenecks. Uh, they're all unlikely to recede very much anytime soon. The case in point is the microchip uh, shortage that has cut auto inventories to record lows and held back buyers. Um, they, they now look to linger well into next year, even as production uh, is coming back in, in Malaysia. So Canada's CPI rate likely to hover close to 5% for, uh, for the next several months, notably powered by uh, one of the sharpest rises in house prices uh, on the face of the globe, basically. We, we, you know, we're still in that semi-transitory camp. We still expect Canadian CPI inflation to, to pull back perhaps to about 2.5% by the end of uh, next year as the reopening uh, demand fades and commodity prices moderate and supply chain issues abate as the pandemic recedes. You know, those are still above pre-pandemic levels due to uh, the housing market pressures. More alarming case, of course, is, is south of the border with inflation already above uh, 6% and likely to, to test uh, 7% uh, in the near term due to uh, even worse labor shortages than in Canada, uh, as Americans have been pretty slow to return to the workforce. Uh, and wages are already rising much faster there than, than in Canada. So now even by the end of next year, I think the Fed could still be staring at a, a CPI rate that's pretty close to 3%. Thanks for that. And one, one thing I would point out is our official call for Canadian inflation in 2022 is for it to average 3.5%. Now, that doesn't sound particularly alarming, especially when we're dealing with a headline number in the U.S. of 6% right now and a Canadian uh, annual rate that's running at about 4.5%. But I would just remind everyone that the last time that we had inflation average more than 3% for an entire year, an entire calendar year, was all the way back in 1991 when the GST was brought into, into effect. So certainly an average inflation rate above 3% is something that we haven't seen for a full year, as I said, for, for quite some time. Uh, so with that, Sal, when, when would you get much more concerned that this won't be transitory, that every central banker's favorite word at, uh, at this point? Well, I guess if, if, if a combination of uh, three things happens, wages speeding up, uh, we're already seeing that uh, in, in the U.S., but uh, in Canada, wage growth has been uh, surprisingly uh, fairly calm despite the widespread uh, reports of, of worker shortages. So average hourly earnings running 2% in the past year here uh, versus almost 5% in the U.S. Uh, so that's the one thing. Uh, and then if we see the, that higher wage bill get passed through to customers by companies raising prices, I would get a bit concerned. We're really not seeing broad signs of that yet, even in industries uh, that are having a hard time finding workers, such as restaurants, uh, where, where wages are rising pretty quickly. But prices uh, haven't outrun, uh, say, grocery store prices uh, in the U.S. And then, of course, uh, if, if people just start expecting higher inflation, and that affects their uh, their, their behavior, uh, again, pretty minimal evidence, especially if you look at what investors are pricing into uh, into debt markets. But some of the household surveys are much more worrisome. So those are the three ingredients uh, in a classic wage price spiral. And that's, you know, if we see those areas deteriorate, I'd get pretty nervous about the inflation uh, outlook on a, on a less than transitory basis. Yeah, definitely. The one thing I'm keeping a close eye on is is the the wage outlook. And, and it is mark, quite remarkable how different 
uh, the situation is in Canada and the U.S. on on that front. You know, if you think we have a, a tight job market in uh, in Canada, and I realize that there are lots of you know worker shortages, especially in things like the hospitality sector. But you know, you can almost take whatever worker shortages we have them and raise them to the power of two in the U.S. You know, we've got over 10 million open jobs in the U.S. versus quote only. Uh, 7 million people counted as unemployed. It's very rare to have that kind of imbalance where you've got more job openings uh, than we we have uh, unemployed workers. We're not at that point yet in Canada. We actually have two unemployed workers for every uh, for every job opening. But that's that in itself is actually a relatively uh, tight market. And so certainly I'm I'm going to be keeping a close watch on uh, wages. Now, Sal, longer term, what what makes you confident that inflation will eventually recede to something closer to two percent? And that is our official call. You know, when we look out into, say, 2024, we've got inflation essentially uh, back to 2%. Um, I guess what I'm driving at is, are, are there any structural forces that you think will tamp down inflation, even in what's what's become a pretty heated economy? Well, yeah, there are, Doug. I mean, it's no real mystery why inflation is high now. I mean, policymakers have, have cranked stimulus to juice demand. At the same time, the pandemic was clamping down on supply. So it's a textbook uh, response. But what goes up will come down when when stimulus is removed and demand weakens. And I think we can still rely on on three longer-term dampening forces on inflation, much like before the the pandemic. The first, globalization. I know it's it's kind of taken a a hit recently, uh, more reports of reshoring of activity and production. But I think uh, overall, most companies will still try and seek out lower costs, lower wage countries to to make a lot of stuff. And then, of course, automation, which has only accelerated during the pandemic. Uh, you're seeing more kiosks, self-checkout kiosks at, at, at grocery and retail outlets now. I know we haven't really seen a payoff in terms of higher productivity yet, but pretty confident that will come. And then, of course, we got the 2% inflation targets for central banks, both the Fed and Bank of Canada. That really helps to anchor expectations. So I think that's a big difference from the 70s, where Different uh, expectations were were basically not moored to to any target at all, and, and just got got out of hand. The Bank of Canada now, for the last three decades, has had a pretty stellar record of keeping uh, inflation almost bang on their their target on on average. So, I think that's going to help their cause in getting inflation eventually back uh, to their target. One one other uh, structural factor that I'm a big believer in that will help hold down inflation is demographics. And, uh, you know, for instance, in, in this environment where we're seeing very high inflation in North America and even, even Europe now, one, one area that's MIA on the inflation front is, uh, is Japan. You know, yes, yes, their prices have turned slightly positive in, in the last uh, couple months or so, but their inflation rate is essentially running at zero still. And I would, I would still attribute the, uh, the fact we've had essentially deflation or, or certainly zero inflation for 30 years in Japan. Uh, is is to their demographics. I'm I'm a big believer that the uh, the demographic shifts that we're now dealing with will actually act uh, to dampen inflation. That is certainly a huge difference uh, from the 1970s when demographics were actually acting to to generate an inflation. So now let's let's really turn to the meat of the discussion. With uh, with that as the backdrop of where we basically where we see inflation going over the next uh, the next few years. You know what? To, what first of all, what does this mean for interest rates? What what do you think the Bank of Canada and the Fed will do in the next one to two years? Will do or should do. I think I think they should have raised uh, interest rates yesterday, given uh, the risks uh, have tilted toward missing the inflation target rather than uh, their full employment goal. But as far as what they they likely will do, I, th- I think they're still going to show patience, you know, before actually tightening 
policy uh, until next summer anyways, awaiting further declines in, 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 in the jobless rate and the expected a widely expected retreat of inflation by almost all central bankers. Uh, we heard from Chair Powell recently suggesting you know, he does expect inflation there to start uh, retreating by second, third quarter of next year. So I think they're going to show uh, continued patience before tightening, but you know, eventually they'll have to normalize policy. So for the Bank of Canada, they'll probably move first, uh, probably by July of next year, um, and then you know slowly raise uh, their overnight rate back to a more neutral level, close to one in three quarters percent by late 2023. The Fed may delay things a few uh, few months, but I think by September at the latest, they'll, they'll start moving on rates and take their uh, uh, overnight rate above uh, 2% uh, by 2024. And those endpoints are still historically pretty, pretty low and should allow the economy to continue growing, albeit, of course, at a, a far slower pace than in the past year. But of course, uh, the risk is just towards sooner and faster interest rate increases. Really, all depends on inflation at this point. Uh, we'll see what happens to you know to wages if they speed up, if inflation expectations uh, deteriorate, uh, and if we get more pass through of, of wages into into prices. That could obviously uh, sustain inflation much much higher and um, and make central banks pretty worried about the outlook, and of course shift them towards a much more aggressive policy response. I, I would just reinforce your last point there. You know, for for years, I've been uh, telling audiences when I give economic presentations that whatever our interest rate forecast is, you know, if it, the the risk to it are probably if if we're going to be wrong, it's that it's going to be a lower interest rate environment than what we're predicting. But this is not one of those cases. I I think uh, you know essentially you've laid out our our official interest rate forecast. I think it's pretty clear. That the risks are that you know the rate hikes can come earlier, they can go faster, and we may have a higher endpoint. And at uh, this point, I think the uh, the risks are very tilted to to a more aggressive interest rate environment than we've seen for for quite some time. Now let's let's turn around. Are are there any winners from from high inflation? Well, I guess um, five uh, come to mind. The first, of course, uh, it's only stock stockholders. Uh, equities tend to outperform bonds um, uh, in a rising inflation environment because you know com- company revenues rise along with expenses in, in many cases. But of course, beware. I mean, if stocks do shine when inflation is rising, but still fairly low, they tend to perform much worse when inflation is high and rising, uh, largely out of concern that aggressive monetary tightening will, will trigger a recession. So, uh, you know, the level of inflation matters. A sustained 3% rate uh, would be treated much differently by central banks than a 6% rate. The former might be tolerated for some time to better anchor expectations after years of undershooting their target. The latter, by contrast, would almost surely draw an aggressive policy response to prevent expectations from driving a wage price spiral. And that aggressive monetary tightening nearly always uh, leads to a downturn in the economy and corporate earnings. Uh, the other, I guess, winner could would be holders of inflation-protected notes. Those notes pay a, a fixed return plus a variable payout that rises alongside inflation. And then, of course, borrowers provide they're not overextended, of course. Uh, inflation is generally good for borrowers as it reduces uh, the future value of debt. Uh, loans are repaid uh, with money that's worth less than at, at issuance and often repaid with uh, wages that are rising faster than when the loan was issued. But of course, rising inflation would be cold comfort for uh, those overextended households if interest rates rise too sharply and strain uh, debt, debt service costs. 
Uh, so they may want to lock in their rates and, and consolidate existing loans in lower rate uh, products. Real estate uh, tends to do okay in a rising inflation climate. But again, you have to tread carefully as too high inflation and interest rates could spur a correction given the dramatic uh, increase in valuations dur- during the pandemic. And then I guess governments, uh, you know, rising inflation means more tax revenue as it uh, boosts nominal GDP and pushes more people into higher tax brackets. So those are all the possible winners. Let's turn now to the potential losers, which are, are many. Um, who, in your opinion, gets hurt most by high inflation? Yeah, I mean, top of the list, uh, bondholders. I mean, rising inflation just simply erodes uh, their, their purchasing power. They're going to get paid back in money that's that's worth less than when it was lent out. And of course, the rising interest rates will reduce the value of their bonds. So yeah, they're at the top of the list. Others uh, would include low-income workers with minimal skills and, and, and weak bargaining power uh, who can't keep up with the inflation rate by, by you know, seeking higher wages. Uh, seniors on pensions that are not adjusted for inflation will have a rough go. Um, and of course, those companies, say in highly competitive industries, that, that just can't pass higher costs, including wages, uh, along to their consumers, they're, they're going to struggle in a rising inflation climate. So we're we're running a bit low on time here, so I'll ask you a couple rapid-fire questions just, uh, just to wrap it up. Uh, first of all, are central banks falling behind the inflation curve, in your opinion? In other words, are they risking the mistake of not removing the punch bowl in, in time, or are they already too late? Well, they're, they're probably not too late, but uh, they're definitely cutting things pretty close, uh, Doug. Um, you know, they, they may not be balancing uh, the risks uh, quite adequately adequately at this point. Um, they still have, you know, these emergency low interest rates when the crisis is basically long past. So, um, yeah, I think they're just running the, the, the risk of falling behind the inflation curve. Uh, the sooner they can catch up by starting to tighten policy, I think the better. But again, um, they're showing remarkable patience in, in this climate so far. Uh, we'll see if if, if their uh, sentiment and tone shifts, though, if, if inflation remains uh, this high or if we see some of these broader pressures in wages, uh, inflation expectations and pass through. So in the last one, uh, we've heard a lot of references to the to the 1970s. Like, is this a bad replay of the, that 1970s show? Just full admission, I actually started studying economics way back in the, in the 1970s. And a favorite word at that time was stagflation. Do you think stagflation is a real threat in in coming years? Well, I don't think so. I, I, again, I I don't think there's a big mystery as to why inflation is so is so high right now. I mean, it's it's very much a demand side story. I mean, there's all this uh, these concerns about supply shortages, but you know that demand driven by very stimulative policies. I mean, the U.S. government sent out half a trillion dollars in rebate checks earlier this year. Most of households that never missed a paycheck in the pandemic. And they're out there spending uh, the, that money. And of course, policy rates still at emergency lows uh, long after the crisis has passed. So, yeah, I, I think eventually inflation will come down. Once that stimulus is removed and the economy weakens in textbook fashion, we will see uh, inflation pulled back. And just from my perspective, I, I, I learned about stagflation as meaning when in, in an era that uh, we had 10% or more unemployment rates and 10% more inflation, and we're nowhere close to to that. I think inflation alone is enough to worry about. I don't think we should concern ourselves with that uh, stagflation buzzword. 
Well, thank you very much for your insights, Sal. And I believe that almost all of us would like to see you prove correct on your inflation outlook. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us today. I'm Doug Porter, and this has been BMO Smarter Investing. Thank you. Thanks for listening to BMO Smarter Investing, podcast brought to you by BMO Investor Line. We're here to empower Canadians to invest smarter. For more information about how you can start investing today, visit bmo.com slash online investing. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get the latest episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts.